Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Well, this was not expected at all. A complete obliteration of the Toronto Raptors by the Philadelphia 76ers. It seemed like at the start of the series, Toronto had all the matchup advantages and... Through now three games in this series, that has not proved to be the case in the slightest. That's a great place to start. And another important part of this game was that I thought Philly out-executed the Raptors pretty consistently. The most notable place there was on defense. Philadelphia's rotations were excellent. They were really getting out to shooters. Toronto had weird lapses in transition. They had some closeout problems, including Kawhi Leonard. And so this vaunted defensive personnel for the Raptors, which largely put it together during the regular season, struggled. And then the vaunted personnel for the Sixers that largely did not put it together during the regular season, the much better, obviously, in Joel Embiid's minutes, they really did. Yeah, and we can start with Embiid, who had a breakout game, 9 of 18, 33 points, 12 of 13 from the foul line, five block shots that they really caused Toronto problems around the rim. But they did so many more nice things getting Embiid involved. He, He was used much more as the screener in pick and roll, really for the first time in his career as an option there to attack Marcus Gasol, get the ball going downhill towards the rim, some pick and pop as well. They did some nice screening action away from the ball to get him open. It really was not the straight post-ups that we've seen so much from him. Even against Ibaka, they went to more pick and roll with Butler, with Harris, even Ben Simmons as well. And so that looked really good for the Sixers to get Embiid the ball in space, and he put up those 33 points in a mere 28 minutes. I was really excited to see the Sixers do more pick-and-roll-based action because I think they have reasonable personnel for it. it. It forces opponents to get a little bit off rhythm. They have capable screeners. They have ball handlers. And so, yeah, Butler with the ball in his hands. They did some nice things there. Simmons had some had some really nice passes overall. But yeah, Embiid was great. Helped out by 3 of 4 from 3. And 12 of 13 from the line he is a wonderful free throw shooter so that part is not particularly surprised and I think the the other significant part of this game is that outside of Kawhi Leonard who was awesome the Raptors the rest of the team you know you're thinking about the 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 way that they were assembled and the collection of talent on the defensive end on the offensive end a lot of different guys Kyle Lowry Marcus Soul their entire bench didn't really put it together in this one and a lot of those guys have struggled throughout the playoffs yeah, especially the bench guys. Van Vliet has been awful. It's so bad that you'd think they might even consider Jeremy Lin, although Lin wasn't available due to back spasms 
in this game so it's gonna be tough to see where toronto can go from here on we saw that game-changing adjustment of Embiid on siakam siakam just has no chance to score against Joel Embiid tried him a number of times got blocked got so frustrated they actually tripped Joel Embiid and picked up a flagrant one that didn't help getting assessed for two flagrants at Toronto and you mentioned all the cuts late in the shot clock they gave up the failures to match up in transition but and then the three-point shooting was not good either six out of 26 compared to 10 out of 23 for Philly and they were basically 50 percent throughout the entire competitive portion of the game huge stretch this one so Kawhi had really been carrying Toronto offensively and he played the entire third quarter then had to sit for the beginning of the fourth which incidentally started with a Fred Van Vliet technical free throw because Ben Simmons got called for a tech at the end basically after the buzzer of the third after that made technical free throw it was an 11-0 run for Philly before Kawhi Leonard checked in and then Philadelphia only had one basket two points between that Fred Van Vliet free throw in the next six minutes and 58 seconds of game time there after that I think Kawhi got Kawhi got a basket a free throw sorry he got free throws with 501 remaining and that's incredible yeah and really I I think Toronto I think they can defend Philly okay Uh, they need to execute better they have the talent to do it it's really on the offensive end that you know through the competitive portion of the game Kawhi was negative five and like uh, the rest of the guys were like negative 20 I mean it really you know Siakam was negative 18 and they're really totally dependent on Kawhi to hit just incredible shots in that third quarter I thought the third quarter was really instructive for me because Philly was just flying all over the place and Butler Simmons even Tobias Harris JJ Redick like those guys were just on a string and disrupting what would have been open three-point shots for the Raptors the Raptors only took three three-point attempts in that third quarter and that was really a, a big problem for them because then they were driving and they don't have guys other than Kawhi and Siakam who are not the guys who are going to be spotting up who can actually drive a closeout and finish at the rim well and they're driving closeouts and trying to finish at the rim most of the time with Joel Embiid on the floor and Joel Embiid is great at taking those away it was mostly it was was largely in the fourth quarter but he had a couple of just annihilations of Pascal Siakam had that had the block which was mostly mostly arm but was still a nice play and then the craziness of what was actually a really kind of dirty play by Siakam Embiid took the ball away from him and then Siakam was on the ground lifted up his leg and tripped Embiid 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 sold it a little bit but it was a non-basketball play and there were actually a few of those in this game first by Ben Simmons Simmons catching Kyle Lowry we'll see if there's any if I I couldn't think of the right word like elbowing well I mean that that play is very analogous to the Draymond Green versus LeBron LeBron. thing that got him the suspension just because I think he was assessed a was it a I can't remember if it was a flagrant one or a flagrant two. I, it was a flagrant he, one, but that okay. was the accumulation. Right, so of so that's probably what it'll be then assessed afterwards, a flagrant one. So it'll just but, be a flagrant But a flagrant one, one assessed after a game doesn't make nearly as much of a difference. Now, would one point have have done a lot in this game? Probably not. Yeah. But then after that, Kyle Lowry stuck out his leg, kind of selling a push, and that looked like it injured JJ Reddick. Fortunately, Reddick came back in the game and seemed like he was not too worse for wear 
there that'll be worth keeping an eye on and yeah so the series is getting a little bit chippier also the the lower seed is getting chesty because they they really outplay the raptors in this game but we should talk a little bit about Kawhi leonard through three quarters his shot chart is pretty remarkable two of four in the restricted area though he was getting to the free throw line two of five from floater range seven of eight on twos outside of the paint a lot of those were self-created shots a fair number of them were were well contested and then two or three on threes the first one of those was basically dribble and pull up and i think the other one he made was catch and shoot but he was doing a lot on his own or at least using the help minimally on his way to creating a shot yeah and that really there was a thought okay well philly's shooting 50 percent on threes toronto's not shooting it well and toronto's been having all these defensive errors so you know the game would really be close but then you looked at Toronto's shot chart and they're just unbelievable from mid-range and even Kawhi couldn't continue to go seven of eight uh, from mid-range and you know with Philly having eight blocked shots I think a, a couple of those are on jumpers but 11 out of 24 at the rim uh, for Toronto and that's why the adjustment I think the adjustment to put Embiid on Siakam they, they just started off with him on Gasol I think just to confuse a little bit and like let Embiid get going on offense but uh, now that they've gone to that it lets Embiid be so much more effective as a helper because Siakam isn't looking to spot up as much I mean it's really impressive too that Siakam only got up three three-point attempts in this game despite the fact that his man Embiid is the primary help defender and they tried to post up Gasol a couple of times that didn't really work that well you know they got a, a couple of decent shots there but Philly is, is going to live with that they got the athletes to close down if they have to double team so i'm not sure other than involving reddick and small small pick and rolls which we had ben chart that for us and they did one the entire game it was not a robust chart I mean, why would you go away from that? Like, it, there are a few times it didn't work that well in the first half of game two, but it worked great in game one. And in the second half of game two, they got some good looks off of it too. So I, I really didn't understand why. And at the very least, it wears Reddick down a little bit. So I didn't understand why they just didn't try that at all. That was really odd to me. But other than that, I'm not sure what else there is. I mean, people are killing Nick Nurse because people always want to kill the coach, especially when the favorite is playing poorly. But like, it's not Nick, Nick Nurse his fault that Fred Van Vliet like doesn't have a field goal in the whole series yeah he's really struggled and especially from three and he's at least in this game he took them he certainly did not make them something else I thought was really significant in this one Toronto not winning the possession game really in any of the facets is really important I mean Philadelphia high turnover team they only committed 13 total in the game that 13 versus nine though like that's not nearly enough of an advantage and then Philly out offensive rebounded this the the Raptors and some of that also like the margin was more severe before extended garbage time I think Philly had an offensive rebound percentage around 30% and Toronto's was around 19 part of that is because Philly missed fewer shots so even though the numbers were similar they, they were just the opportunities were different and and as you said like the block twos I think that's another important part of this Philly had a blocked shot on 14% of Toronto's two-pointers and that's not really on Kawhi Leonard that well yeah MB did catch him once or twice yeah. but really I think the other guys on on Toronto are more hesitant to shoot the closeouts are really yep. affecting them and th- they should be affecting them because when they get all the way to the rim 
there's a big dude there trying to stop their shot. Yeah, I mean, Lowry, Van Vliet, like those guys not really even able to get their shots off very well on the perimeter. I mean, Lowry was awful. Seven points, two of 10, 0 of 4 from three, five assists. Remember early in the le- in the year, he was leading the league in assists. Uh, when like Danny yeah. Green hit those three threes early and then he was largely a non-factor, missed a couple of open ones and then made made yeah. that weird two. But, and, and he wasn't as dominant defensively either. Like he, he wasn't as much of a culprit to me as some of the other Sixers, or sorry, the other Raptors on the Sixers, but I don't think he was as much of a value add as I expected. Here's another big stat for you. 29 assists on 43 field goals for Philly, 15 assists on 35 made field goals Wow, for Toronto. I mean, so that's And that's, you know, Kawhi, every single one of his buckets probably is unassisted. That's 13 right there. Siakam, his buckets are going to be unassisted. So it's not, you know, Toronto is not a huge ball movement, make it look pretty type of team, but that's still, I mean, that is an incredible low number uh, to be less than 50% of your buckets assisted. One, I think the the Philly number is also overwhelmingly positive because they were moving it better, they were attacking it, and they were taking, you know, they were taking advantage on the opportunities they had in transition. There weren't a ton of them, but they were generally getting pretty good looks on those. And also, that doesn't incorporate getting to the free throw line. I thought a lot of Philly's free throw attempts were created by assist as well. Nurse did try to do a few of the rotational changes that we wanted. He brought, he took a soul out a little earlier, brought him back in a little bit earlier so he wasn't matching his minutes perfectly with Embiid but during that stretch at the start of the fourth when Leonard got a little time out of the game maybe it might be a good idea for Nurse to just rest Kawhi the last three minutes of the first or you know at some time when Philly doesn't have all of their starters in but when he went to Gasol there that's when they gave up that yeah. 11-0 run that ended the game anyway so that wasn't a panacea and again there was the, the pick and roll I really think that I've been impressed by Brett Braun's willingness to really change up not not only just rotations and stuff like that but it's really and defensive matchups that's you'll see normally but really the entire offensive philosophy um now they still did get plenty of good stuff out of that Redick and bead two-man game the handoffs they're really scared of Redick like Gasol would have to get way out on the floor of the pocket pass was available or it would even just after the handoff the defense would be in flux and Embiid could get a little bit deeper a post position like that's something that worked really well also um so you know that's something that's been around this whole time but yeah i mean the amount of pick and roll that they've been running i mean it's got to be i don't have the stats in front of me but they're one of the four or five lowest pick and roll teams in the league during the regular season and butler harris i mean it's been basically all pick and roll whenever Embiid and reddick are out of the game something else i want to file away from this because they have some big decisions coming up a great game from philadelphia but tobias harris was largely an afterthought i mean jimmy butler joel Embiid, ben simmons was better defensively I thought he did you know he made Kawhi work even though Kawhi made a lot of those shots Tobias Harris overall for the series now 12 points per game 11 rebounds which is which is noble he had that 15 in game one but he's doing that 12 points on 13 shots and only getting to the free throw line for one attempt a game so yeah he's never been a high free throw guy yeah. he's but he, he's done enough to me to where it's been interesting Toronto's matchups they've gone with Kawhi on Simmons they switched that up late to put Kawhi on Butler to try and guard the pick and roll a little bit better we'll see if that's something that continues I mean I still think that they could be doing more to help off of Simmons on some of these plays um with him in the dunker spot you know it's not like he was killing them there maybe they just need to be even more aggressive helping on pick and roll but you know pick and roll is probably not a huge emphasis of toronto's coming into this series necessarily uh so uh, be interesting to see i mean 
they've had Danny Green on Harris. I don't think of that as a huge advantage matchup. And they've had Lowry on Butler. So why not go to Jimmy Butler? And Butler was fabulous again tonight with really efficient shooting. And he ended up dropping 22 points on 9 of 15 with 9 assists. And something that's been really striking for me in this series is how the equilibria has shifted. So I was thinking it was more like Toronto has the advantage. Philly's going to need to play a very good game to win. And I don't know exactly where that line is yet. I mean, this was clearly Philly playing really well, Toronto not playing well, and Philly won easily. But it's sure as hell closer to Philly's side than it was for me at the outset of the series. And that's why it could be a long one or Philly. Philly can absolutely win it. Yeah, you know, I thought coming into tonight that, you know, Philly could well win this game, but I would still favor Toronto in the series. But the way in which Philly just appears now to have systemic advantages here, and and especially the fact that they got Embiid going too, is just so huge, right? I, I thought Toronto was going to be fine after game two. It was an odd game, but they were still shutting down Embiid. And now if Embiid is going to start playing better uh that's gonna be a problem for toronto but really more so it's just the offense i mean other than Kawhi, like what what do they have to go to here i mean they're really just stuck trying to and yeah Kawhi was really difficult to deal with and but he can't win the game by himself and especially when he goes out of the game if they're just going to get completely destroyed i don't know what you can do because they don't have other guys really on this team who, who can create if siakam who they need is a second score i mean i know he had 20 points tonight but a lot of that was trans Position and he wasn't really able to create anything in the half court. Well, especially for other people. Like there were yeah. there were other times, and some of that is also credit to Philly for closing out so well. But they have a lot of guys. I, I was thinking back a little bit to Dallas in the second Heat Finals, where they they have a lot of guys that can take advantage of created opportunities, but the created opportunities just weren't as good in this game. Gasol has got to play better too. Yeah, he I mean, does. they really to only get up one three point attempt is really difficult. But I think a, a big part of it too is Toronto just doesn't have ways to get two guys on the ball and then when they do just the Philly closeouts were awesome and they really just are not they don't have these guys who are just going to bomb threes over a closeout on this team well and someone else I want to single out for praise is James Ennis Ennis yeah he's been great stabilizing force off their bench doesn't need to do a ton though we did end up with 10 points a few of those back buckets I believe were in garbage time but reliable on defense in the right spot had a couple of opportunistic offensive rebounds which are also really important and competence is just a godsend for coaches off the bench and Ennis in some ways benefits because they don't have to rely on him to shoot a ton of threes he can kind of pick his spots and they have a lot of other high usage guys and so these mixed lineups for Philly they get into a character that actually really makes sense they can defend well they still have enough shot creation on the floor and I did not expect while it hasn't necessarily been those lineups winning them the series I thought those lineups would struggle more than they have. I'm sure that you listeners are well aware that Mother's Day is coming up here. Clearly, no one's smart enough to listen to this podcast would ever procrastinate on something as important as a Mother's Day gift. And therefore, you are ready right now to buy your mom some Sherry's Berries. They have special Mother's Day berries just designed for mom. They're talked with chocolate chips, pink shimmer sugar, and swizzles. And you choose your exact delivery date to ensure that mom gets your gift of Sherry's Berries exactly when you want her to. And your satisfaction is is always guaranteed the strawberries are absolutely enormous i have 
quite the gaping maw and it took me like four bites to, to finish these things they really are just huge so don't wait until the last minute on this one visit berries.com b-e-r-r-i-e-s.com to order freshly dipped strawberries starting at 19.99 for the mom or mops in your life to make them really happy you could even double the berries for just ten dollars more mother's day is sunday may 12th as we record this during the day on thursday that is a mere 10 days away so hit up berries.com click on the microphone in the upper right hand corner enter that familiar cap space code easy to remember we've been talking about cap space now a lot in our off-season previews should be starting shortly that's berries.com code cap space to let them know that you came from us let's get into last night's game now between the blazers and the nuggets and this is for two very good offensive teams really just a terrible offensive game not only the three-point shooting but the nuggets finishing as well i mean they really were just awful 20 of 40 at the rim five out of 17 from floater range for a very good floater shooting team and it's not like the blazers have these unbelievable rim protectors on their team zach collins had some moments but as Cantor, not known for his shot blocking acumen and that's when he has two good arms so i thought the nuggets just played terribly i mean that that's really what it what it boiled down to the blazers did a few things to, to cause them some more problems which we'll get to but it, it just the six out of 29 three-point shooting was atrocious as well uh, including a lot of very very open looks especially in that second quarter when they just w- missed 10 in a row so that's my takeaway here is just denver played really badly and lost i, I agree with nicole Jokic. you said after the game it was a weird game i don't even think the blazers themselves played that well i completely agree with them actually uh you know i didn't see that as like sour grapes like oh they're not that good i think it was more like hey we need to play way way better because they're not going to play this badly even uh so yeah i mean i, I think the blazers got out of here kind of lucky frankly to, to get a 1-1 split i largely agree after game one i mentioned that i thought it was striking how both teams had ridiculously effective half court offenses you know i think both teams were 110 or better in that range in terms of half court offense portland 86-4 denver 78-8 in this game and i didn't see a ton you know there were some some nice help plays and you mentioned zach collins and a few things like that but for me in this circumstance that was more about both teams missing shots than each team team's defense forcing the other to miss shots yeah i'll give the the defenses a little bit of credit i thought gary harris guarding damian lillard was important lillard did not get to me the same quality looks especially going to the room i think he was eight of nine at the rim in the first game and then he also drew a ton of fouls going to the rim and now he certainly wanted some of those fouls in this game and did not get them i thought that he got a very friendly whistle in that regard as far as like the contact going to the rim in game one i don't think he got a single one of those calls in game two and he only shot three of four from the foul line only four assists uh, for Lillard as well and and Gary Harris deserves a lot of credit for the way that he guarded him as well and I liked that Malone went 40 minutes for Gary Harris part of that was because Torrey Craig busted up his nose and and had to come back in the second half of the mask but was unable to play basically for about two straight quarters of this game and then the Blazers their defense I thought was much better with the way that they double teamed Uh, they really took the ball out of Jokic's hands a a lot Jokic finished with 16 points but it took him 19 shooting possessions to get there and it wasn't because he was bombing away from three he was only 0 for 1 from three I think it was three of six in that first game Millsap they did a much better job on him as well and that was a a lot of that was just better individual defense from Alfred Camino and so they really stopped going to Millsap in the post after that Rodney Hood had three blocked shots 
I mean, what they've managed to get, Utah Jazz fans will uh, tell you that Rodney Hood and Ennis Cantor are not the greatest defensive players. And to actually get reasonable play out of those guys defensively has been huge for them you know and Cantor I think it was better as well they did a much better job on that Murray Jokic pick and roll and Murray had a struggle after getting kneed in that right thigh again god it's amazing how often that's happened and I think they did a better job on Murray overall not just on the on the pick and rolls and having more length guarding Jamal Murray I think made a meaningful difference yeah yeah I mean that that was uh, true too they went to Harkless although he then sprained his ankle after 13 minutes but he was good on Murray he blocked his jumper one and even uh, Jake Lehman got in there a, a little bit. Um, so, I mean, there were defensive adjustments. Both teams did play better defensively, to be sure. But it's also a lot easier to play better defensively when teams just aren't hitting shots and you can pack the paint. Um, so I think it was more just offensive struggles in this one. Right. And and not only was it, I mean, the 6-29 of 29 from Denver for three, and a lot of those shots were by guys that you would expect to make them. And, I mean, Jamal Murray, two for eight. Gary Harris missed all five. Malik Beasley two for six I believe both of his makes were pretty early in his tenure and then he just didn't make them after that and also I think it was really important that Denver missed 10 free throws they were six 16 of 26 and so I mean if you, you that if you're missing that many you know of, of a small number or relatively small number anyway that exacerbates the situation and there is a ridiculous number in this game also that Denver had 23 offensive rebounds in total but 14 of those 23 offensive rebounds came in just the fourth quarter yeah i mean and they had a bunch of possessions too where they're just playing volleyball and that eventually ended up not scrubbing yeah thought i know they, you, there was one where it was i think it was five uh, i counted five offensive rebounds yeah. how many were credited and then they didn't score well and then i thought the absolutely typical one was i think they were down seven with you know still but with the ball probably about like the possession started maybe with like three minutes and 30 seconds left they got a bunch of offensive rebounds then malik beasley gets an offensive rebound misses two free throws then they get a bunch more offensive rebounds they miss again and it was it took the possession took like 45 seconds and they didn't score despite just a ton of shots i am in that seven of 18 at the rim in the fourth quarter i mean there were how many of those were well contested i I'm not sure. Not many, though. I mean, and Portland, you know, they were growing with a small group. They had either Hood or Curry at the three with Harkless not available. And that was part of it. Certainly Portland's guards needed to do a better job of rebounding. And Denver is one of the best offensive rebounding teams in the league. So I, I can't take that much away from this game. I would say the, the bigger things is just getting Harris on Lillard and getting more size on Murray were uh, the biggest thing. They did, they did not go back to putting Aminu on Jokic and trying to switch the pick and roll they just said hey we're going to get more length on Murray and try to disrupt him the injury issues going forward are going to be very interesting now with Murray and that thigh you know clearly was limping around he only had one assist in this game too after seven or I'm sorry after eight in game one uh and then Mo Harkless I mean he's really important to what they do if they're gonna have to play Evan Turner more you know Turner's just his jump shot is probably the worst it's ever been during his Portland tenure right now and that's saying something since he's not known for that would they consider just starting hood who gives them a little little place to go on iso potentially especially then if denver's going to start beasley you imagine craig will be able to start Uh, so there are some injury issues that are potentially going to hurt both teams here so and obviously Cantor. i thought Cantor actually looked better using his left arm in this game than the previous game which is encouraging um i got a few more notes but anything else you wanted to add here well yeah i thought that the the harkless injury 
is the more significant. I mean, Tory Craig, it looked it looked bad when it happened, and I mean, there was that really preliminary reporting from Dennis Scott that he, it looked like he was going to be out for the rest of the game. He returned with a face mask, and after that return, that kind of caused the kerfuffle that happened in this game. Fortunately, no significant consequences from that. So basically, he was coming back, Canner was going forward, and knocked Craig to the ground, and the teams got a little bit animated. Justifiably so. I mean, you just had a guy who broke his nose, and they didn't. The league didn't suspend anybody, or, or maybe they fined, but I, that doesn't fines don't really matter in in this scale to me. And so it looks like Craig, I think, will be okay. And remember, this series is every other day until theoretically a game seven, where there's a little bit of an extra break. So injuries have a larger import because whether Harkless is limited or he isn't, I mean, th- these are the games in three and four that Portland needs to win to get an advantage in the series. You've talked about this before. If you are the road team, want to be up three to one if you have want to have a real chance of winning the series because if it's 2-2 the other team has a real home court advantage they have a game seven at home and all they need is a split before that to be fine yeah now I actually wouldn't say that quite as strongly in this series because I think the talent level of these two teams is so close you know I think sometimes when you're the road team part of why I say that is because they're generally the underdog as well and so if they do go back 2-2 I just don't give them a great chance of winning games on the other team's floor I think Portland especially with the explosiveness of Lillard and McCollum I think they certainly can win games in Denver so I I wouldn't see it quite as much that way. Well, yeah. Now, as somebody who picked the, who picked the Blazers to win in seven, I, I agree with you. <laughs> and uh, you you mentioned CJ. I think we should take a little bit of time to talk about the the shots that he hit. I mean, he had he had eight points, and the the starters for Portland only had nine total points in the fourth quarter. And CJ just hit some big ones to keep to keep them in command position. Yeah, for him, it seemed like every time it got to nine or even seven, you know, I thought one of the biggest shots of the game that he. Hit hit was in the third quarter when it got down to seven he hit a really tough jumper off the pick and roll later in the fourth it got down to nine he hit this incredible floater from the left elbow um another key in this game which i'm sure you're going ape shit about was Jokic taking a euro foul to get his second foul in the second quarter well yes i was yeah that star players should just not do that ever <laughs> <laughs> well, especially someone who's prone to foul trouble. And yeah, he, yeah. Hasn't, uh, he hasn't gotten in foul trouble that much in, in these playoffs, but then he picks up two in the third and has to go to the bench. He, he did finish uh, with five fouls, but and it was getting pretty close to his normal rest time anyway. But they were really uh, had closed it down. And then as soon as he goes to the bench, it's back up to 16 for the Blazers. Uh, Plumlee was good on the offensive glass in this game. And he also actually was able to go right through zach collins for a couple of post-ups that's actually if he can get moving towards the basket and there isn't much help i actually don't mind him posting up on collins well and collins, collins was, was giving him way too much space yeah for me yeah. like if you're not stout at like when the guy's rolling into you then you need to be more on his body so he can't get that kind of momentum and collins was basically acting like he was a much stronger individual than he is yeah but Plumley also i thought again just he's not good i, I almost like Jokic better despite Plumley in theory being faster i like Jokic better getting way out on the floor in pick and roll because Plumlee is just so bad with the ankles I mean it seems like three or four times a game he just like gets split on that pick and roll trap and that's such death to have because if that happens you've got now two guys 25 feet from the basket and someone like Lillard coming downhill there was also a play where he gave up an 
an easy layup to Collins because CJ McCollum ran an Iverson cut that Craig pretty much I mean he was a little bit behind the play but an Iverson cut like you're you're not gonna be able to shoot the ball right after you do that you have to kind of orient yourself and so Plumlee just sprints out to go get him and they just leave Zach Collins wide open at the free throw line to just roll in for a layup uh so he's just he's really jumpy defensively I think they would do a lot better having him in in more of a conservative style like he played uh, when he was in Portland um Mike Malone said before the game that they needed to help more on drives and that did work I I think that was better they just gave up too many drives to Lillard in the first game but we thought maybe that would open up the corner three and it did for a couple of really key corner threes in the fourth quarter one was Hood one was Curry off of passes from CJ and Lillard so watch out for Portland to try to exploit that a little bit more to get some more corner threes if Denver is going to have an aggressive pick and roll coverage then you have to bring that guy in guarding the corner man to take away the drive and that that pass to the corner will be open something I wanted to ask you about we saw an adjustment here from Terry Stotts that Myers Leonard didn't play at all yeah and I'm wondering given the characteristics of these two teams that this I, I think this series might not get significantly smaller from this point now getting Myers Leonard out yeah. that's a that's a big adjustment but here I mean especially considering how much faith each of these coaches has in in their bigs at, at you know varying levels I mean Jokic is a bona fide star I don't think this is going to be one of those series that evolves and that evolves too much in terms of you know more Malik Beasley and Will Barton I mean Morris already played 19 minutes I think those guys are about worth I, I don't think the minutes are going to shift dramatically other than assuming Tory Craig is healthy enough to play that he'll just play a little bit more you know it's interesting because the Nuggets I thought had pretty good success with Jokic and Plumlee together in the first game I was surprised that they didn't go back to that maybe that was because the Blazers went a, a little bit smaller they did play a couple of minutes with Cantor and Collins together in the first quarter but aside from that they didn't and they really had Aminu was their biggest power forward they had Turner at power forward a lot of the time in the second half but it seemed like it was predetermined that they're going to go away from that we saw more of Craig at the four uh, again when he was out there that seemed like that was the plan for Denver maybe they felt like just having more mobility defensively would be useful so I'm not saying and Plumlee and Jokic actually was one of their best combinations John Schumann had that in his preview during the regular season against these guys so maybe we'll see them go back to that uh but I did I did think that Malone did a decent job with the rotation he also tried to play Murray and Morris together which they gone away from basically since Barton went to the bench Barton was awful again one out of six in 17 minutes Monte Morris way too many bad floaters uh, I thought he would was one out of eight for three points so those two guys again I, I would like to have them get even shorter of Alicia though with Murray potentially now struggling again with that thigh contusion maybe you do need to, to get more of those guys out there but I did really like that they extended Harris to 40 minutes and presumably Craig will play more than 20 minutes in the next game let's see what else i got here oh i had one other straight note that we didn't that we didn't talk about it seemed to me like portland was getting a lot more deflections it didn't necessarily produce turnovers because denver only had nine in the game and only five of those were live ball but it did seem like they were getting their hands on more and that just disjointed denver a little bit yeah i I mean and hood was a, a good example of that portland got really good stuff i thought out of the side pick and roll or the the side dho where the guy comes out of the corner and 
get to dho because then that they would denver's strategy was to put two guys on the ball there and then they were able to get a pretty easy pocket pass to the roll man and then someone usually Millsap would have to come over from the weak side and rotate and that was a good way to get them in rotation get some open threes it seemed like every time they did that they were able to get some pretty decent looks uh i wouldn't mind portland going to a little more of the small small pick and roll look to see if they can get murray onto lillard and let lillard just go one-on-one and late in the game murray just kind of hung back and was trying to harass the inbounder and lillard was able to blow by him and set up a a clinching three-pointer so you might see them go more to that the blazers really started trying to go to ns Cantor in the post early i think three of their first four possessions were post-ups for him they didn't really get back to that as much later on i think this is a really slow game but both teams had by far their most success in transition and semi-transition particularly the blazers i thought where mccollum in particular was able to get some looks going downhill that was key as denver actually started 8-2 and then portland went on a 15-2 run to basically take control i don't think denver ever got closer than either five or six after that point it it really the game was won in like you know the first seven minutes of the game for portland and yeah go ahead oh i didn't have anything <laughs> I thought I thought I heard the sharp intake of breath. That no, uh, no, I was still muted. You, that's just in your brain. Okay, wow. We uh, maybe I maybe I just had this timer that was like, oh man, I've <laughs> I've been talking uh, for too long here. And, and I thought Denver needs to look to run more uh, as well. These are both good offenses, but pretty slow paced teams. And you mentioned how bad both they both of them were in the half court. And uh, I think that's all I've got here. I mean, game three is pretty interesting. I mean, if I had to predict how these next two are going to go i think it'll each team is going to win one of them but obviously portland has the ability to take control of the series and whether they can get lillard open for some more looks i think is going to be key he was only one out of seven from three on some of the same shots that he has been taking all playoffs he was obviously going to cool down a little bit from where he was in that okc series which was completely ridiculous but i think right now to me health between murray and harkless is probably the biggest determinant of where this series is going to go i would agree with you and i don't think because of how anomalous certain elements were i don't think this game really changed the way i felt about the series in terms of the on-court product you know there were some adjustments that each team made that i liked but it being such a weird game in terms of shooting and both teams like missed a lot of opportunities in transition even though i would agree with you they looked better there i didn't like you know i picked blazers in seven i don't feel particularly better about it other than them winning a game and that obviously matters bank a win is extremely important in a series that runs seven games because now you you know it's a it's locked in and they don't have to win four out of five they only have to win three out of five. yeah so i might make portland the favorite in the series now uh, as well after this so let's get to some news we haven't done it now uh, in quite some time we can start in detroit where blake griffin basically the moment they got eliminated it sounds like he flew to la and had surgery on that left knee unclear exactly what the surgery is he's supposedly not going to miss any planned activity and will be healthy in eight weeks uh that's that seems unlikely to me was he just going to sit on his ass for the next eight weeks it seems it seems pretty unlikely uh the diagnosis had been a sprained knee although i think Vinny goodwill had that it wasn't officially released by the team it was a sore knee but then for this surgery to be required you would assume that that's some sort of a, a meniscus issue this is also the okay did he really need to play on this thing and, and 
had a back and forth with a couple of doctors uh, on twitter about how they were saying the, the whole yeah you know you're not going to make it worse type of thing and, and i you know have never really found that particularly compelling especially when they're already down 2-0 in the series they're they got completely blown out in both games it really just seems like it was not worth the risk both in terms of just the fact that you're going to be really favoring it when you're out there and a lot of times we've heard this oh you can't make it any worse and they make it worse or just come back and aren't the same and you never know whether they weren't the same and that's because the injury got worse from trying to play on it or they would have just never been the same even if they completely shut it down but it seemed it seemed like it wasn't worth the risk for me what else we got here the coaching carousel is still ongoing it looks like the lakers are between Ty Lue and monty williams which is also compelling because the suns are more interested in monty williams and i don't think they've had any conversations with Ty Lue, so i expect it to break the more obvious way Lou, there were reports that he had a, a real emotional connection with genie bus of course Ty Lue played on the lakers and it sounds like those connections have been important to her in terms of who they have hired even though rob palenka what hadn't been involved in the organization technically been kobe's agent for a long time so even he had that sort of a connection and we'll we don't know yet for sure which way that's going to work out but the one piece that we do know in a different situation which technically has an op- opening from a coach is in minnesota minnesota hired gerson rosas as the president of basketball operations a nice piece of history that he is the first latino top basketball executive he is from bogota colombia i, I like that piece of it and he has been involved primarily in houston's front office he did have this short stint in dallas and i wonder how that ill-fated enterprise in dallas affected his approach to taking another job and I, that's not something i know at the moment but i would be interested in finding out yeah rosas has more of a scouting background but of course has spent a lot of time in that houston front office supposed to be a very process oriented john krasinski has had a great reporting on this for the athletic out of minnesota the reports were that minnesota was really looking to increase the diversity in their front office uh, under ceo uh, ethan Kaysen, and this is a, a step in that direction also rosas and ryan saunders have a relationship unclear whether scott Layden, who krasinski reported has two years and four million dollars left on his contract will be retained as well but it seems that saunders almost certainly will be at least uh, for a year will be made permanent head coach during that time but this is this is an interesting hire i mean rosas is the perpetual candidate uh, for a long time and now finally president of basketball operations in minnesota and he's uh he's got his work cut out for him that's for sure with uh, their lack of flexibility going forward when you get back to the coaching carousel that you mentioned the reporting is that robert sarver met with monty williams has not actually made him an offer but that he's the top choice that sounds to me like williams is just kind of waiting around to see whether he gets the lakers job or not and if he doesn't he'll take the sun's job and the sun's not making him an official offer is based on them not wanting to actually have to say that he was they were turned down but you know it seems like uh that's the direction this is heading uh and for the lakers the emotional connection i do think Ty Lue is probably the best candidate for them but making that determination on an emotional basis doesn't seem like the greatest way to do it i mean that could just be the wording that was used in the reporting so maybe i'm, I'm being too harsh here 
Uh, in Milwaukee, Tim Bontemps had a nice piece today about the stakes of this Titanic Eastern Conference second round, which has lived up to the billing so far. And an important reporting in there was that the ownership is willing to pay the tax in Milwaukee. And we know that they're, that's a potential scenario going forward, especially if Giannis were to re-sign on a Supermax, uh, which he is certainly going to be eligible for next summer and, and even could come into play this year with Brogdon, Lopez, and Middleton, all free agents. I realize we probably didn't talk enough about chris middleton yesterday on the small four though and just kind of mentioning his name uh and it seems pretty clear that he will have multiple max offers available as well while we have tobias harris listed as a power forward it does seem like those two guys are somewhat similar players and that they can both shoot they're not the greatest defenders in the world but you know have at least some amount of two-way ability they're both pretty efficient jump shooters so it seems like both of those guys will have max offers or very close to it available but you would imagine that the bucks will come with something maybe not a full max over five years but kind of the demar Derozan 2016 10 million dollars less than the max over five years type of thing you know i kind of see that see it ending up there but the reporting from Bontemps indicating that their willingness to pay the tax could be dependent on how far the team goes this year if they lose to the celtics it's a tough sell eastern conference finals maybe a tough sell finals definitely would do it so we'll see whether uh the bucks end up making it as far as they want to and it, again much like for all these eastern conference teams how far they make it this year are going to have massive consequences in chicago the bulls have uh requested to have omar Ashik's contract which had three million dollars guaranteed this summer removed via career-ending injury or illness with uh crohn's disease arthritis he's really struggled doesn't appear that he's going to play in the nba again so I would imagine that will probably be granted once it had been a year since he had last played, which I think was uh, you know last February or March or something. They were eligible to do that, so that that'll probably end up happening, and they'll get uh, three million space. Ashik has already been waived, but that's uh not relevant to this uh, analysis and i think uh that's all that we have here for now in terms of news anything to talk about before we go yeah i did a a a fun real jam radio podcast with jared dubin we talked at first about the series so far and our takeaways and kind of something a little bit that we've both been thinking about in terms of the role of rim protection and big men moving forward and what we still need to learn from these playoffs but then jared and i both cap guys just just like you are as well and so we started talking about the offseason as as well and like how these teams are going to use their cap space who's going to get paid and so yeah it's it's a great conversation you can listen to that and we will be doing a lot of nba casts in the near future yeah by the time you listen to this we'll have done one for philly toronto then we got bucks celtics tomorrow and then we're going to do rockets Warriors. this will actually be our first chance to do a warriors game on saturday so please join us uh, for that uh, just look on my twitter at nate duncan nba at the start of the games which will have uh, all the links as for us we'll be back uh, maybe we'll do saturday we might do saturday night again uh, stick on that schedule because we'll have uh, some games to talk about i think that's probably what we'll end up doing actually is uh coming back on saturday night and then taking a break midweek when there are fewer games and maybe some of the series will be over already so probably better to just record on these games while they're going on so we'll touch you all likely on saturday night unless all these games are terrible till then reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest but let me play devil's advocate here let's see so no that's a good thing Uh, (laughs) that's definitely not a problem Uh, reese's you did it you stumped this charming devil 